Hey everyone, this is Craig. Thank you for listening. Before we get started, I wanted to tell you how much fun we've had interacting with everyone on Facebook and on our site, thelegendariumpodcast.com. We've produced a lot of content over the last couple of years, and we're glad that we've been able to do it completely free from day one. All we ask from you is that you help us spread the word. Like us on Facebook, leave a review in iTunes, and above all, share us with your friends. Again, thank you for listening, and welcome to The Legendarium. Hi, this is Terry Brooks. You're listening to The Legendarium Podcast. In keeping with our tradition of reading a series with newcomers, Ryan and I bring Andrew and Riley into the studio for our first discussion in the Shannara Trilogy in preparation for the MTV series coming up early next year. Yes, welcome once again to the Legendary Podcast, where we read, and then read way too much into, books. Uh, fantasy books, today. Uh, today is the Sword of Shannara, and we have a little bit different crowd in here today. Of course, uh, you know me, I'm your devilishly handsome host, Craig Hanks, and uh, Ryan Brockman, So can I refer who's... to you as Satan this entire time? <laughs> <laughs> you may. Fantastic. Yes. Thanks, yes. Satan. That's my horribly ugly co-host, Ryan <laughs> With a face, not even for radio. It's so bad it has to go straight to podcasting. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and he's such a nerd, he makes me look like a star quarterback. It's Andrew Bayless. That's right. Yeah, and she's so cool, chocolates don't even melt in her pocket. It's Riley Butters. That's true. <laughs> I bet that's not true. Let's test. So cool. Chocolate yes. in the pocket now. I wish I had some chocolate. <laughs> so today, uh, we are... Uh, reading and discussing well no we're not reading on the podcast thank goodness uh, but we are discussing The Sword of Shannara it's a 1977 fantasy novel by Terry Brooks has sold kajillions of copies and has been popular for quite some time so popular in fact that uh, the trilogy which it spawned is now spawning a TV series on MTV and anything that comes out of MTV spawning is the correct term for <laughs> what happens that's there. pretty much true that is true yeah uh, yeah. yeah we I yeah cross your fingers he has held off on uh, allowing filming of these books for so long that I, I feel like there's one of two possibilities either one he's like okay I'm old I just want to see somebody make it before I go that's a possibility uh, or two somebody finally came along and said look at how much money we're going to throw at this and he says okay yeah you can probably do it mm-hmm. so hopefully it's the latter and it will be a good one but anyway that that series isn't even going to be about the sword of Shannara it's going to be about the uh, sequel the elf stones of Shannara but you know we thought uh, we'd better take on the whole trilogy and not start in the middle like start MTV, like MTV mm-hmm. wants us to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll, we'll get back to there. So I will now attempt to uh, introduce this book to everybody if, uh, if you haven't read it in a while. Please walk us through the contents of Sword I, of Shannara. The Sword of Shannara follows a couple of storylines, the primary one being that of Shay Olmsford, the half-elven orvin, orphan, Raised by <laughs> little Orvin Annie, right. raised by his humble human family. Well, it turns out that elven half of his blood makes him the sole surviving descendant of the ancient elven king Gerald Shannara, whose sword was used to banish the warlock lord in a long ago war. Now the warlock lord is back, and it falls to Shay to find the sword and defeat the risen again warlock lord, all with the help of a trusty companion, a wisecracking best friend, a dwarf, some elves, a crown prince, and a somewhat volatile wizard. 
at least until the group is broken up and Shay's journey becomes a lonelier one. Meanwhile, in the second storyline, that crown prince I mentioned, along with the rest of the companions, they go to war with the warlocks, warlock lord's enemies, which are poised to sweep through the free lands of men, elves, and dwarves. Leading the bad guys are the super-duper bad guys with wings, the Skullbearers, I've always thought that was a great name, I like the Skullbearers, who are incredibly powerful servants, slaves really, of that warlock lord. Ultimately, the companions will rely on Shay's ultra-important mission because they can't win as long as the warlock lord lives. Now, does this all sound familiar? It should. The The Sword of Shannara is often dismissed as a mere copy of the Lord of the Rings, and the comparison does not exactly fall flat. Brooks himself credits William Faulkner over Tolkien as the inspiration for the Sword of Shannara, and that may be the case on a conscious level, but if so, his unconscious self, which had been marinating in Tolkien for years, had a lot to say about the storyline here. So what do you guys think? Is it a rip-off? Interesting that you put that in there, because uh, that, that is going to be the, the biggest point to bring up first is... Mm-hmm. It's the elephant in the room, so yeah, yeah. you, you mm-hmm. got to bring it up right away. The elf in the room? Oh, yeah. the elephant in the room. <laughs> the fat I elf thought you in said the elf room. Too. I, I knew we brought you in for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I'm the 800 pound elf in the room. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you that first, like this, this was something that I spent a lot of time really trying to research and review and, and try and understand why this comparison is. We've we've read it and we can you can see the comparison between the two. It's not hard to spot if you've read both of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I and the fact is is that he I, I went in and I found uh, an ask me anything that he did on Reddit not, not too long ago. Yeah. And he admits that the first half of this book is very Tolkien-esque. And that's slightly by design and slightly by uh, just that's – it was a a thing of the times. Um, 1977, the Del Reys were really pushing for – to get fantasy, to give it another burst. And what they needed was because Tolkien's books were were seeing a revitalization at the time, they wanted something that fell along those lines. And so they were looking for authors who had written – a not continuation, but a story that had such a Tolkien Tolkien feel that those who loved that series would be able to go straight into this. Right? Mm-hmm. Is it a straight copy? Eh, clo- pretty, pretty close. Pretty close. <laughs> at the, at, at least, least in the I, first half. Yeah, I, I think and that's, that's what fair. he says. In the first half, it is, and in the second half, he diverts a little more. It took him seven years to write this. Mm-hmm. He wrote it, started at twenty three, finished at thirty. So, I mean, you can see that perhaps he started to develop a little more. Uh, as a writer and say, okay, you know what? Rather than just go chapter by chapter and, and do the same thing, <laughs> I can di- I can diverge a little bit here. But I I was reading a couple reviews that talked about the value of what he did, how we view it now and how we view it and how it was viewed then. As a, not saving grace, but as a, a catalyst to launch fantasy literature forward in the time, it was absolutely needed the way it was. Now we look back having a plethora of options and go, that's just a copy. That is terrible. How could you do that? And it's it's not, I, don't, I think he's unfairly shunned for for doing what was he what was asked of him to do. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Riley? About the comparison? Yeah. Uh, I wish I wouldn't have gone into the book knowing that because I think it tainted the whole entire thing. Did it, I screw that up for you? I don't know if it was you or my husband, but oh, okay. it was clear to me that it was either supposed to be or that everyone thought it was. I, I don't remember. But having that clear comparison in my mind, it just really made the whole book frustrating. And then trying to get rid of that and just be like, okay, just enjoy it for what it was. Mm-hmm. It helped. But I think it's once his writing style kind of gained 
its own style, like style and kind of movement. So I think the second half is much better than the first. I agree. But and mm. then I think like even the last twenty pages are like way better <laughs> than the entire book. So I don't know. I wish I wish that I wouldn't have known that going into the book. Yeah. Okay. Andrew, thoughts? You know, I, for me. It's it's kind of the same thing as when somebody says, oh, man, that band, all their songs sound the same. And I'm like, yeah, but if you like one song, you yeah. like them all, right? And I kind of felt the same way. Like, it's kind of the same story, but it's another version of the same story. It's mm-hmm. like... It's a really good cover. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I've i had this kind of project in the back of my mind that I'm never going to do to rewrite The Lord of the Rings from Sam's point of view, the entire series. This would be like the, the uh, Ender Shadow of Something The Lord like of the Rings. That. Yeah, yeah. And it, it would be the exact same story, but having a different main character and a different person's perspective really changes the way you see the story. And I feel like this is kind of what what Brooks did here. He said, okay, well, let's take this basic story idea, shake up the, you know, shake up the characters, change them a little bit. Some of them not change very much at all, you know, <laughs> but, but change some of them just enough that we get different character dynamics and, and things like that. And, uh, and then go with it, you know, I think too, uh, it's interesting because if you've ever taken a writing class, one of the things that they sometimes have you do is you start off reading something that somebody else wrote and then you start by writing, and you might even write the exact same first sentence or first paragraph, but little by little it diverges from the original until it's something uh, something new and something innovative. And that, that seems to be what Brooks did here. He kind of started with this mindset of Tolkien, uh, maybe copying a little bit, but, but eventually it diverges enough that it becomes his own. And in the rest of the series and in the other books, you really start to see this fleshed out more. So, I yeah, I remember cool. I I read this as a kid. This was the first like big kid book that my mom gave me. I think I was nine years old or something, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I'd never read Lord of the Rings, never even heard of it, mm-hmm. so that wasn't a concern <laughs> for me. Um, but I I adored the book. I I probably read it a half dozen times between then and when I graduated high school. Uh, so the story has always been pretty fixed in my mind. I didn't touch it again until this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I haven't read it and haven't read it in 10 or 15 years. And uh, a lot of the details had escaped me, but I had read and heard about all these people complaining about the Tolkien comparison. Mm-hmm. And so that was very much in my mind. And, and, uh, and I, especially because I then became obsessed with Tolkien, then it was, oh, that Terry Brooks, uh, he copied Lord of the Rings. And I was really like unfair to the Mm -hmm. book about it. And then I came back and read it now for the podcast and I said, okay, yeah, I guess kind of like you were saying, Ryan, I I guess I see what you guys are saying, but now there's enough about it. That's individual and different that, uh, that I think we need to give them credit where credit is due. It's a great story. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a reason, there's a reason his name carries weight in the fantasy world Mm -hmm. for good or bad. And it's not because he writes nothing but crappy books, right? Uh, He's got a couple do- doozies then <laughs> um, he even admits that like he admits to a couple of his books he's like that I read that and it was painful <laughs> okay but I think you know he's uh, anyone who has taken the time to read the book and really get compared on its own merits has said okay this this guy knows how to write fantasy well mm-hmm. enough and then as you continue into his stories you know, I've, I've read Sword, um, haven't done the other two yet, but I did uh, jump in and read the first Terry Brooks book that I ever read uh, was... Magic Kingdom. No, it's the fifth book in The Talismans of Shannara. Oh, that's it's right. 
That's I just right. I was like, hey, I like the cover art on this, and I started start reading with it. Book it, number five. It was the yeah. fourth book in a four book series. Hey, <laughs> I read I read the seventh book in a seven book series. It was called like the Seventh Gate or something, and I read it because it had a dragon on the cover. <laughs> and I was in junior high or something. That's We've all got to go through that experience where so just the cover art brings you in. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. What I was gonna say, like overall, I don't think I liked the book, and I don't know if I'll go over that, but. The thing is, I loved the idea of the book. And I think mm. it was kind of going back to what Andrew said, is that even though it seemed pretty comparable to Tolkien, um, that's good. Like, we still want that. We want that epic journey. We want to be able to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And it just always seemed second best. And, I like, that bugs me. But um, I, I, after it was done, I was like, I love the idea of a sword. And then this, like, one heir has right and access to it and can mm-hmm. use it. I love that idea. And mm-hmm. so... I kind of, after I was done, I was like, I should give it another try. (laughs) (laughs) Because the idea is awesome. Yeah. I want to come back to the sword. Uh, So don't let me end today without doing that. But um, as we started the book, or as I started the book, and we're only a few chapters in, one of the things that really frustrated me, uh, and we've already touched on this a little bit, was the writing style at the Mm. beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now... He's long-winded, and he admits that he's long-winded, and he likes being long-winded. But um, that's not the writing style that I'm talking about, because that carries through the whole book. But especially toward the beginning. Now, I'm all for a good omniscient narrator, Mm -hmm. but when you're changing perspectives from one paragraph to the next, and oftentimes within the same paragraph, Mm -hmm. he was driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. I was going nuts. I'll see if I can pull up an example. Um, But, nah, I I won't read it, but... uh, there's the scene when Shay and Flick are running away from the skull bearer toward the beginning of the book and it's flying over them. And then the King of the Silver River distracts him and, and he floats off in the same paragraph. Shay and Flick are super worried about it. Oh no, he's coming. And then within the same paragraph, the skull bearer notices the lights and, and you follow his thought process as he goes along. Anyway, mm-hmm. that was just one of those, one of those things that um, you're thinking, okay, yeah, you are 23 years old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you got a little ways to go. Well, and you get, I, I mean, you get all the characters are like, who is this Al Anon guy really? Mm-hmm. Like, he's so mysterious and we don't know anything about him. And then uh, there's a point at which you haven't been, you haven't seen things from Al Anon's perspective yet. It's been mostly Shay and it's kind of jumped around a little bit. But then suddenly, boom, you're inside Al Anon's mind. And it's like, you know, Alanon felt bad about what he was doing, but he had to do it anyway. Yeah. And and you're just like, wait a second, he's supposed to be mysterious. We're not supposed to be able to see things from his perspective. We're supposed to never know, you know. And that the same thing killed me that you end up seeing things from Alanon's perspective. You end up seeing things from the warlock lord's perspective. Uh, but but what's interesting about it, and what's a little weird about it, is you still don't get the whole story from their perspective, right? So you get Alanon saying like. Should I tell them? No, I can't. I can't tell them the truth about the sword and what it will, you know, what it will require. And I just can't. And it's just, it's just, uh, for me, it was just frustrating because I'm like, why bother showing me Alanon's perspective if you're not going to tell me what Alanon's really thinking, you know? Um, that said, like you said, it's a, it's a matter of just being used to writing and being used to knowing how to do that you know and and i think he he did do a much better job of that as he as he kind of progressed through the book so anyway yeah other notes ryan riley i was gonna say like overall i think character development is one of the things i really struggled with because i felt like throughout the whole book i didn't care about anyone 
as much as I thought I should have. So this really mirrored real life for you. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I don't like people. <laughs> They're kind of annoying. I but hate like, everybody. I think when it hit me was I like I didn't love Shay, and and then like all of a sudden there, there's this part where Menion is I think he's in the city of Tursus or however you say it, and he's talking about his friend Shay, and he like explains more about Shay than I'd ever known about Shay myself by reading. Yeah, and you're and you're four hundred pages in the book. Yeah, like the past and the future, Shay, and like conflicting. And I was like, "What?" Like I had no idea Shay was like that. Hmm. And just annoyed me that I didn't come to know Shay through Shay. It was like what three hundred pages into the book, and all of a sudden I'm just told that he his kind of has this conflict between the past and future. And I was just like, "What?" Like I think character development I really struggled with because Alanon, you never really know who he Mm -hmm. is. Flick, you kind of get it until like the very end. Like you see Flick, okay go through the camp of the trolls and the mm-hmm. gnomes and like that's cool and stuff mm-hmm. and like Shay with the sword and like you figure out okay what he truly is but you never know that until the end and so I just didn't care about anybody enough mm-hmm. I was just you, like I Ryan know. do you remember Mistborn when mm-hmm. we kept telling uh, Ken and Todd wait until book three mm-hmm. right I kind of feel that way again here except it's not that the story is carrying us through it's no he's a really good author <laughs> Keep reading. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He's, yeah, he, uh, but I totally agree, I, Riley. I'll tell you that it's an odd comparison, but there are some people out there who will understand this. It's like when I try and introduce someone to Doctor Who and they go and watch the first season of it. You know, Which I love, Christopher, by the way. That He's my favorite Doctor. I watched the first episode of Doctor Who and five minutes in I was like, what is this? Why are all my friends crazy? <laughs> like everybody has told me this is amazing and I don't think I can even make it through this episode, you know? And I never have gone back to it. And I'm planning on someday sitting down and giving it another chance, but that was my experience. Uh, you, you have know? to you have to have the promise that there's better and it, it helps to have someone guide you through and tell you what, mm-hmm. you know, you know, here's a few things to look forward to, you know, watch these and go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you have the legendary podcast that's what holding right. your hand. That's right. Now, I, I'm going to tell you a little bit with, in regards especially to uh, character development here, I'm kind of curious as to how much of that is a product of the time and what was around it, because... We started as a culture, especially with this uh, Netflix world, I mean, we're expecting things to develop a lot quicker mm-hmm. than we're used to. Yeah, that's a good And point. high fantasy in its greatest and original forms, it was never quick to develop. I don't feel like that's ever been a, a, a characteristic, a characteristic of, that, yeah, of it. Sure. And so I'm, I, I agree that it's a little bit slow to get to where you care enough to turn the page. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of curious as to whether or not that's just a, a product of its time and, and the style of writing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't say that I've read enough books from the 60s and 70s to be like, oh yeah, that's just how things were. Well, so, the I'm thing was, sure. is also in comparison, the the other, the more of the fantasy books that were coming out at that time were the, the pulp, uh, pulp novels. Like it's yeah. 250 pages or less, you know, really quick stories. Uh, that's the sort of thing. So when you're writing this long form version, Sometimes you may have a story that fits in the 250, but you got to stretch it out to mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be the case. I'm not sure. I will tell you that reading uh, reading this, as a matter of perspective, coming to it after reading Aftermath, it was a breath of fresh air. <laughs> oh, uh, the Star Wars novel? Star Wars Aftermath. It, it's, I'm, I'm coming back and starting to enjoy the story of it more as I think about it, but the writing was just atrocious, and I'm sad that they've hired the same guy to write the, the sequel. But... After reading that, coming to this, I'm like, yeah, there's some issues, but it's not as bad as what I just read, so <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> but I've read worse. High right? praise, high right? praise. Yeah, right. I've, and that's, 
I think some of the expectation we set when we come into a high fantasy, high adventure story like this is that we expect this beautiful flowing prose that sits there as nicely, you know, mm-hmm. the way the way Tolkien would write until we hit Tom Bombadil and then we, you know, come back later. Sorry. <laughs> Boy, you hate Tom Bombadil, don't you? Uh, I actually don't hate Tom Bombadil. I would love to hear a story about Tom Bombadil. I just hated going through those chapters. Mm. Old Tom, it felt like it... Tom, Tom Bombadillo. Bright blue his jacket is, and his boots are yellow. Yes, that's right, that's right. Well, another thing with the character development, uh, maybe playing devil's advocate here, so Craig's advocate, I guess. Uh, cause, Sweet. Because yes. he's the devil- devilishly handsome uh, host here. Um, well, so the story, and you kind of get a sense for this, that the story kind of is epic enough that maybe maybe you don't need to know the individual characters. And I, that sounds crazy, but, but I think about Shay in particular, you don't get a lot of his character because he, at the start of the book, he's like, I just don't want to die, right? So I'm I'm out of here, and I can relate to that. And I feel like I can relate. To yeah, that. exactly. And Brooks Brooks <laughs> brings this up again at the end. You know, uh, it's interesting because in in the Lord of the Rings, you get um, you get a lot of progression where Frodo starts off and he's like, I don't want to do this. Why me? Kind of stuff. But but at some point, he resigns himself to it and he says, like, for the greater good, I'll do this. Right. In uh, in sort of Shannara or Shannara, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, you get Shay right up to the end. I mean, he's standing there with the sword in front of the Dark Lord, and he's like, "Ah, eh, maybe I should just drop the sword and make a break for it," you know. Um, and I don't think it's because he's a coward. I think it's because he was just doing what he had to do. Right? He didn't want to. He didn't. You know, it was just this is what has to be done, and I'll do it. I don't have to like it. I don't have to be converted to like the greater good. I'm just going to do it and 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 we'll see where we go. So it, in a sense maybe some of the character development felt a little flat because it was motivated by the story. You know, just like if you're an amazing person in extraordinary circumstances, you don't actually seem as amazing maybe because it's the circumstances that are so extraordinary. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That, maybe that doesn't make sense, but it's just a thought kind of half You're formed. so much smarter than me. I just really want to talk about something else now. <laughs> um, well, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. kidding. <laughs> well, I, one thing I also think in terms of characters, um, I'm new to fantasy. Like I read The Hobbit when I was in, I think, 11 years old, and then I read Lord of the Rings throughout high school, but that was about it. I didn't actually get into fantasy until as of like recently. And most of my introduction have been to stories with strong female characters, like uh, main characters. And going back to a story like this and realizing halfway through, woman. I was like, there's one woman in this entire story. Mm-hmm. I was, and yeah. she's annoying. And, and she's no, she's no Eowyn. She's no, no Galadriel. And but, she's not but like, boy, you know, is she beautiful. I know. Is and she she's beautiful. She's thin and she's tender. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, Oh, the Cheryl girl. It's like, come on, speak up, girl. Do something. Like, go out there and fight. You know? yeah. And so I think maybe that was something that was in the back of my mind. Because I loved Elantris. I loved Mistborn. I, I mean, I love all of our, like, dystopic, dystopic, D- dystopic, dystopic, dystopic. Um, <laughs> books, you know, that are, like, all of R- our female Riley characters. knows all the words. She knows all <laughs> Dys- of them. Dystopianic, like oceanic, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe that was also in the back of my mind. It's like, oh, we're back to there's no female characters mm-hmm. and yeah. I don't care about any of them. Well, and I, you know, I don't. I noticed that too and I was thinking, you know, like maybe he really was writing this. I mean, he's twenty, a 23-year-old guy or whatever and he's writing this for his friends. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's kind of what I picture. Like he's sitting around with a bunch of dudes and they're like, hey, that's a cool idea. You should write that down. 
and he does and he writes it for dudes you know mm-hmm, what i mean mm-hmm. and he's like oh we'll put in like we'll put in a girl because somebody's in love with a girl you know <laughs> and uh you know the elf is in love with a girl too and and so and so you know like there's there's like a couple girls mentioned but uh but really it's and th- this isn't an excuse right it's just it's just an explanation maybe mm-hmm. that his audience was primarily men i'm guessing you know he wasn't thinking like oh i'm going to write this for for women the world over you know it was I think this is this is a good time to bring up the tv series again mm. uh because like i said earlier there is a reason that they're starting with book 2 for this mtv series a we've already seen the lord of the rings you know, everybody mm-hmm. loves that movie, and mm-hmm. we don't want to watch it again necessarily. Uh, so, but with mechanical monster robot things, <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's no, but, different. But uh, one of the big reasons is because of the strong female lead mm. or leads in the Elfstones mm-hmm. uh, book two. Uh, so I, you know, I have no idea what his thought process was, but I can imagine him sitting down and and reading it again or hearing some criticism of it and going, oh yeah, geez. There mm-hmm. were no women in that, mm-hmm. so I'd better, you know, throw something in there. And uh, I thought I did a good job of it in book two. I'm mm. excited to read that again. Yeah. So yeah. I'm exci- don't I'm worry, excited. Riley. Yeah, I'm totally gonna continue. I think yeah. I got I got a, a text from Riley last night that was all panicky, like, yeah, I, I'm gonna come on the podcast, but I'm really worried. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm like, it's all right. Uh, no, you don't have. We to. need that now. Yeah. So often, you know, when it's me and Ryan and Todd and Ken, we're just like, oh, this is such a good book. The you know for an hour. So it's nice to have somebody who wasn't admittedly, so into there, it. I don't think like I, said, I don't think we've had a. The thing is, we all approach book series that one of us have been like, yeah, this is good. Trust me, you will all like it. Yeah. So we haven't really had a ton of diversion from that. We need to pick a book series that none of us have read and. And then go, why did we do that? Or pick a series that only one of us has read and didn't like, and then everybody read it. So we'll <laughs> Everyone like suffer it. with me. Everyone suffer with you me. You know, speaking of diverging from our norm, we actually have a woman on this podcast. Speaking of which, this is awesome. There you go. It's nice to have True. a female voice every now and then, other than, you know, when Craig other goes high. Other than <laughs> Maybe that says something about our audience, right? That uh, they're, you know, maybe we're writing this two primarily men but now we're trying to expand out to women too we're trying to be a more woman-friendly podcast yeah yeah well craig you told me like the reason why you wanted me to be on your podcast because you're like the audience or like people in fantasy there's not a lot of girls Uh, generally i think that's what you said Mm -hmm. Uh, and i I don't know maybe it'll become more and more as more lead characters become female and it's more like a part of their world but Mm -hmm. i do think because these earlier books weren't about women yeah. right. maybe that had some well and and i i hate to keep like commenting on this this one point but uh i was thinking about this a lot while i was reading it too and thinking like okay well so like you meet like a bunch of armies right and the armies are primarily men and that makes sense during that time period you know um does it there have been recent studies that show that like (laughs) viking women fought right alongside the men but none of the people in the book were even kind of like vikings right so you got the gnome army the troll army the elf army a couple man armies you know or human armies i guess um and and then they're traveling through the woods the rest of the time right and so um well i agree some of the main characters could have been women a lot of those like incidental characters almost had to be men because of the setting right that that armies were made up of men at the time. Now the gnome community that were like healers or something could have been all women, but that would have been so stereotypical, mm-hmm. right? Like the only women are the mm-hmm. ones who are the healers, who are nice to everybody and nurturing, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I was thinking about that too. And 
maybe some of it's the setting, but I think really it is just, Mm -hmm. you know, him and his buddies were like, hey, what about this idea for a story? Okay, let's write it down. And then he wrote it for him and his buddies. You know, know, if that's the case, if, if, if the situation is as you describe it, um, I'm glad he did write it down because mm. if he was sitting there going, hey, I've got this idea, it's mm-hmm. a really cool idea. Yeah, yeah. I like, uh, one of the things I really like about this is the creativity of, uh, you know, this is the height of the Cold War. Everybody's mm-hmm. freaking out, mm-hmm. pigs and nuclear war and all this stuff. And so he goes, okay, what if there was a nuclear war yeah. and everything was wiped out? And 2,000 years later, what do you have? Mm-hmm. And you have people who have like survived the conflict, but nuclear fallout has mutated them into gnomes right, and trolls. Right. I love that. That's great. That, that was that's honestly, a great plot device. That's my favorite part of this book and the, and the series in general, right? So Lord of the Rings is like, I mean, if you get really into it, it's set like a thousand or two thousand years in the past, right? And eventually the hobbits and dwarves and elves, like, well, the elves went away and then everybody else became human, right? Star Wars is set a long time ago in a galaxy far away. But this is like, oh, this is Earth. And it's after the nuclear holocaust. I'm almost expecting him to find like a half buried Statue of Liberty, and and well, start yelling. You, like, have you seen the preview the for the show yet? I, I guess maybe I haven't. Is yeah, we should show it to you. Yeah, the the first shot that they always show in the previews is you're flying through this what looks like a cave. It turns mm-hmm. out it's a, f- a fallen over skyscraper. Oh, nice. A- and then you come out and there's the space needle on you know tipped oh, over on okay. its side okay. and it's covered in moss. And yeah. all. it's really cool. Yeah. You know what's really sad. Mm. is I did not get that. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> Until, like, a couple <laughs> weeks ago, Tommy's like, well, I mean, well, it's our time, but 2,000 years later. And I was like, what? Yeah. I don't know if I skipped over Al-Anon's description of what had happened. It wouldn't shock me. But I had no idea. So I was just like, I was thinking Middle Earth, you know, 2,000 mm-hmm, years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think if I would have n- thought of that and, like, what the consequences of mm. that had been, I think mm-hmm. I would have liked it much more. Yeah. But I, I just skipped over it. Now, that so being dumb. said, <laughs> it, it, like I said, this is one of my like one of my favorite creative things that he did. But then the the college student hand wringing. The you know, college student in his twenties, in the seventies, in the Cold War. Oh no, oh no. And the sky is falling. It, well, it's the the political stuff that he throws in there, especially in that chapter two where Alanon is explaining everything that went wrong. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh gosh, it's a little heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Terry. Yeah, yeah. But I did love... They're going to miss a major opportunity with this TV series to not have Alan or someone stare at the Statue of Liberty and go, damn them all to hell! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A la Charlton Heston. Yeah, that's right. But I did love that, like, the ruins of the city, you know, and they're trying to describe skyscrapers, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're like, it was some kind of metal, like, still very strong, but clearly in ruins. You know what I mean? And, And it's clear that it's, like, the downtown area of a city, and that's all that's left. And then this, like, robot monster thing comes out, you know. Like, Which, uh, yeah, I love that scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which I, I want to bring a point since we've hit on it, like, three different times we've just bounced off it. Okay, fine. Can this be considered science fiction? We mm-hmm. call it fantasy, but can this be considered science fiction? Ooh. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to say no. Let's use the robot test. If it has robots, <laughs> then it's science fiction, right? <laughs> robots so and lasers. There's one robot, and the the skull bearers shoot lasers out of their eyes. Oh, that's true. Like, I, and I was trying to figure out: is that more like Superman lasers that burn <laughs> things? Because it seems like they're more like. Or is Cyclops. this like Godzilla? No, no, it's Cyclops lasers. Because Cyclops, like X Men Cyclops, he shoots his, uh, you know, his crystal beam or whatever, and it doesn't cut through stuff; it knocks stuff over. 
And that's hmm. what the skull bearer lasers did. I've thought about this a lot. So, <laughs> 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 opposed right. to Superman lasers that like burn stuff, cook food, and like whatever else he does, you know. So, um, he just stares at his meal till it's warm enough. He's anyway, like, I'd like a Pop Tart. It's done. That's right. That's right. But yeah, robots and lasers, I say check on the science fiction question. It's science fiction, kind of. Yeah, I don't know. Because um, we've, we've had a discussion with, uh, with, Todd especially has this idea that science fiction is fiction that is driven by the science. Mm. And if you go by that standard, I don't think this is. Okay. But I do think by every other standard that we hold science fiction to, this qualifies. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, there's robots, there's lasers. This is, we're talking about uh, a magic system that is all a new science. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because the old sciences have been ignored, or not ignored, but the teachers have not passed it on. Right, But what about this, so this magic system... It, it is magic, though. Yeah, definitely. Like, so it's it not is. science. Right. And, I didn't get that. And uh, so, I don't know. I feel like I just need to push back on, on this because it's yeah. not a scientific thing. I mean, they study it in the, sense in that the way that we talk about studying science, but it's it not. Didn't come, it came about because they wanted to get away from science. Wasn't it like they were trying to explore things they were, beyond science? No, they were actually trying to, uh, with the first... Council of the Druids, they were trying to recover the old sciences. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And then somebody, and then Brona stumbles across these arcane arts and studies them instead. So if you use the scientific method and discover magic, then is it magic or is it science? Oh, man. (laughs) Just blew your mind, right? Mind blown. I need to clean up this office. And and Craig, you know, you're pushing back on this idea of it being science fiction, and I agree. It's not clearly in the camp of science fiction, right? Maybe we could say it's science fiction-y, it science fiction fantasy or something like if that. If you go yeah. into a store that has like a science fiction section and a fantasy section rather than combined, which no store does, mm-hmm. you would not find it in the mm-hmm. science fiction right. section. Right, it's clearly on the fantasy side. Yeah, it's heavier that, but that doesn't mean it doesn't qualify for the mm-hmm. science fiction sure. tag. Okay, yeah. I guess, yeah. whatever, I'll buy that. I yeah. just think if it has if it gnomes and elves, <laughs> it's science. I mean, it's see, fantasy. <laughs> see, and, and if he had done more kind of like steampunky, like robot monster things or like you know like wild wild west giant steam powered robot spiders or whatever you know stuff like if you'd done more stuff like that i'd say i'd say more so that it's science fiction but um yeah it's fantasy but it's bordering on science fiction right Mm, or incorporating elements of science fiction Hmm. anyway um other things that you guys really liked about the book it's fun i'm just gonna say straight out that uh, for everything else there it's a fun read. Mm-hmm. It a, is a fun story. It reminds me of, of uh, you know, if, if you're trying to describe why you like somebody and you're like, they're nice. Yeah. And like, yeah. that sounds like a, just a horrible compliment. Like, you're, yeah, you're really nice. But no, it's a great compliment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I loved Panama Creel. Is that how you say his yeah. name? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I loved he him was too. awesome. I mm-hmm. think once he came into this play, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And Celts it. They were, yeah. it was, I was like, that was like my favorite part of the book was those three. Totally. Yeah. So. Totally. Little, little uh, Han and Chewie action going mm-hmm. on there. That's <laughs> right. That's right. My, my, my other favorite thing, I mean, I've already said my favorite thing, but my other favorite thing was how he handled the races. And this is something that was really surprising to me because, like, in Lord of the Rings, and I, I, you know, I keep comparing it to it just because that's something that everybody's familiar with who listens to this podcast, right? Um, you've got men and elves and dwarves, right? And, and I noticed over and over that Brooks uses the term men to refer to elves, dwarves, gnomes, and trolls, Right. He says, like, the men struggled with each other. 
the huge men lumber, you know, and he's talking about trolls and he says the huge men lumbered across the battlefield, you know, and it's interesting because this goes back to the idea that they're all originally human. They're just different races of human. Whereas Tolkien gets almost, you know, I've even heard people accuse him of racism with like the orc stuff, like, oh, well, orcs are all bad and elves are all good and dwarves and elves don't like each other. And it's just like very delineated like this race that race that race you know but brooks has this like they're different races of men and gnomes don't have to be evil some of them choose to be good right trolls don't have to be evil some of them choose to be good and you can see the the hypothetical scenario where you get an elf or a dwarf who's who chooses to be evil right um so it's not a matter of like oh i was born a human therefore i'm good or i was born an elf therefore i'm magical and good it's, uh, right. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather be that one. Well, yeah. me too, me too. But but I, I like this idea that that individuals choose, and um, and they're still they're all still human, right? They can interbreed, as far as we know. At least elves and humans can. Sweet. Uh, you know, <laughs> where trolls, was that scene? I don't remember reading that <laughs> scene. Trolls have trolls have wooden skin, and they're like irradiated, so they might all be sterile or not be able to interbreed, but. They can at least breed with each other, so that's that's good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Enough we're, about breeding. We're getting really into the weeds here. <laughs> Enough about breeding, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, was, oh, okay. Um, this is for all of you guys, but especially Andrew. Andrew and I both studied linguistics in college. So, uh, Shannara or Shannara? Mm. Well, I'll give the, the author's opinion, which okay. is, he says it's Shannara, right? Right. Um, and he said it in multiple interviews, but... But he always follows that up with, but as long as people are reading and enjoying the books, I don't really care how they say it, right? And didn't he, it, it seems like he's given in mm-hmm. on, on the, the new MTV oh, series. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It is Shannara. Yeah, yeah. And to me, Shannara sounds like, it sounds too Irish. It's like, you know, like <laughs> Ireland is cool. <laughs> Top but of the Shannara too. It's yeah. not big enough for a really epic tale like this where you're traveling across the whole world, right? Uh, Shannara, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, what, how do you guys say it in your heads, Ryan? Shannara. I say Shannara. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's and it's very much because it has more of a flow to it. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot, uh, what I would expect of a high fantasy story. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Shannara. Shannara sounds like the, you know, you yeah. know, you got the Irish thing or a hick or, you know, something. Because the ass sound doesn't really. Like, like people who say Italian instead of Italian. Yeah, we're going to go get some like Italian that. food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to read a book of Shannara and let him get some Italian food. I've always just thought the double ends made it Shannara. Yeah. But yeah. call me crazy. No, I... We do, frequently. I, I think know. people naturally read it and they say this should be Shannara, yeah. right? Uh, so next question, um, dwarfs or dwarves? Mm. Is it an F or a V? Right. It's Is it an F or a V? So in this book, it's an F and it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Because uh, dwarf, the word dwarf left the English language for long enough that when we set down our, our rules of uh, plurals, we didn't, we weren't using the word dwarf at that time. And so when the word came back into usage, uh, like Tolkien ran into this, his editors were like, yeah, we'd like to change that to dwarfs because that's the, the real English word. And he says, no, it's dwarves. Because if it had been in use when we set down these rules, we would have put a V in it, just like knives or leaves or whatever. Um, anyway, it's one of those little things that just takes me right out. It's <laughs> and I, that's that's why mm-hmm. I qualify as maybe the biggest nerd in the room. I maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That definitely qualifies to have an issue. I don't care. It's a. <laughs> 
Can dwarf you say for dwarves. elf and elves? Yeah, yeah elf he, and but, elves is definitely that way. Yeah, no does question. Does he say? About it. Does he do it elf? I think it's elv. Yes, in this book because we because the word elf was being used mm. in English. Yeah. So. so as we're talking, I'm doing an engram search on which is more common, dwarfs or dwarves. It's, now it's right? got to be dwarves. I, I was Tolkien has so taken too, over yeah. the world now. I was so. thinking so too. Um, yeah. So we yes. have to talk about the one thing that I didn't like the most. Ooh, I'm and, excited. And I felt like everything was too easy. It's like, you know, this big buildup, all these bad things are going to happen. We're meeting this crazy person or something. And then all of a sudden, like, there's a break and it's like, and then it was over. Yeah. Or it's like, I have like examples written and it's like, he perfectly executed it this way or with bravery, he did it this way. Yeah. And I was just like, so the, the part that m- bugged me the most was Menion when he's talking about the getting everybody out of the city and fighting the Northland army coming the, their way. And like, it's like, like a huge buildup. And I was like excited. I was like, Menion's going to go out and he's going to fight and he's going to be amazing. And then he just wakes up and it's over. He's like on the bank of the river. He gets into the raft and he... <laughs> You know, right. goes down the Myrmidon. And I was just like, what? Like, that was so easy. So I, I know it's an epic journey and he had to go, like, Shay had to go a long way. And so he couldn't spend time with every little conflict that came up. But I just think the writing, it was just like, and then all of a sudden it worked out. <laughs> I was just like, mm-hmm. what? I, I felt that I way reading it this time when the elf stones were used, used for the first few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have to get out of the mist or they have to find their way through the Black Oaks or to the Black Oaks or whatever. Uh, or the mist wraith pops mm-hmm. up and attacks him. It's like, oh, that's a nice, convenient little. Yes, yes. Uh, How are they going to get out of this? Oh, wait, elf stones. Here we go. <laughs> you know. I think it's interesting. Um, I've got one of his. I got his AMA up here, and someone asked him, obviously, a common question. You know, tell me about your writing style then and now. And this is his response, and I think it touches on what you're talking about. It says my process is very different now than it was back when. I woke early morning, or I work early morning to midday, and then my brain drops dead. I work in a less dedicated time fashion. I don't outline as much as I used to. I'm always trying to write myself into a corner much of the time without knowing how to get out. I need the challenge. Mm. And how many times did he write himself? Do you, in that situation, you write yourself into a corner and then go, um, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, elf stones. Yes, mm-hmm. that's my way out of here. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's not a challenge. It's a cop out. But mm-hmm. I would assume that he's gotten better in some of his other writings at, at getting out of those situations. When as you're 24 or 25 working on this going, crap, um, I'm not good at this. Let's fix this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, you know, elf stones, yes, and maybe some other things uh, are, are made too easy. But the elf stones especially, you can see his maturity from book one to book two because he takes what was maybe a weakness in the first book and turns it into a real strength. Mm. Um, it's it's uh, it's going to get good. I'm well, kind of sad to leave the sword, sword though. The sword. Yeah. The sword. The sword. I'm kind of sad. Let's, like, yeah, we're, it's such a good idea. We're coming up yeah. on like 45 minutes here, so I think it's time to talk about the sword of Shannara mm. uh, and, and what it is and what it does. This is probably my favorite device mm-hmm. in this whole book. Uh I've mentioned a few things that I like, but I, I really enjoy that this is a talisman for good mm-hmm. versus the One Ring, which is a uh, an evil thing, uh, and that its power is truth. What a cool little concept, and, yeah, it is. and how it, is. it and how it defeats the Warlock Lord. Not just that its power eh. is truth, but that's its that's its only power, what? right? Mm-hmm. Eh. Eh. <laughs> First time I read this, I got to the end. I'm like, really. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lame. <laughs> You're not a good person. It's like, oh, yeah, the sword makes you tell the truth. Oh, it's Wonder Woman's lasso, but pointy. Okay. <laughs> Yay. Oh, yeah, guess what? You're, you've you been living a lie. You're now dead. <laughs> Didn't care for the end of the first time I read it. I'm more appreciative of it now, as and like you said, as a talisman of good and everything. Mm-hmm. But I'm... First time I read that, I was like, seriously, come on. You make it do something cool. Let it, you know, flames and and lightning and magically strikes him down to mere atoms. Be old magic. You know, are, be, you, are you being Ken right now? I'm absolutely being Ken right now. Uh, I wanted a better punch and sword and less of a yeah. tell the truth. Or you're oh, going no. to like, because it, it doesn't like, it's not like a truth serum. It doesn't make them tell you the truth. It makes them it see the truth. It makes you confront yourself. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you, you have to dig in deep and see if you can live with mm-hmm. who you really are. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I like it. Maybe it's just because I'm old and, and weathered and a really good person. Uh, but I feel like right. it's a, a, great, a great bit. It, if I point the sword at you right now, will you die? No, I will. I will burst forth into, uh, you know, uh, flowers of righteousness. Flowers of righteousness. Yeah. That's, I think that is what would happen, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Anyway, too, the truth of the sword. I, I thought that was a cool thing. So <laughs> good. At least somebody agrees with, with I me. I liked it too. Thanks, yeah. Riley. Mm-hmm. You're Three the best. against one. Three against one. That's okay. You guys go ahead and think all oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, final thoughts. It was cool. Apparently, we've used them all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited for the next one. Okay, you should be. And anybody listening should be if you haven't read it yet. Um, The next book, The Elfstones, like I said earlier, this is the one that the TV series is based on. So uh, don't skimp. Don't skim. Uh, Go ahead and read this one. It's a fun story. It's a lot more fast-paced. It's a lot more female-centric. And it's a lot more elfy than this one was. So if you if you're a hardcore fantasy person, it it gets elfier. Don't mm. worry, <laughs> elfier. Yeah, I think that's going to be in the dictionary soon. It kind of sounds like I'm saying. But el- would it be el- would it be e l f i e r or e l f l v i? Incidentally, I did pull I don't up like the results you right of now. that uh, of that engram. And dwarfs is actually still at least three times as common as dwarves. No Do you know way. why I mm-hmm. think that is? Yeah. Why? Because Disney uses dwarf with an F. Uh, ah. Snow White and the Seven yeah. Dwarfs. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Interesting. Disney foils me again. So Disney trumps Tolkien. Bam. As, uh, well, slaps JR across the face <laughs> with yeah. an F. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> he was the real racist, actually. Wow. Um, Anyway, uh, let's go on with our bad selves. We'll read uh, book two. We'll reconvene, I don't know, three weeks or so from now. Um, And uh, we'll air that definitely in time for the series to come out. So enjoy reading, you guys. Thanks for listening. And uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, be sure to uh, subscribe on iTunes and give us a review and a rating there and uh, check us out on Facebook. Make sure you follow us there and we'll keep you up to date with everything you could ever need to know about anything. Have a good week, you guys. The Legendarium Podcast is sponsored by Audible, the world's leading source of audiobooks. Follow along with our current series or enjoy some of the classics by visiting thelegendariumpodcast.com where you can sign up for your free trial membership. Click the sponsor link on our website for a free audiobook. Hi, this is Terry Brooks. You're listening to the legendary... Legendarium. <laughs> See, I can't do it. It's been a long goddamn day, let me tell you. I'm sure it is. And I'm burned out. <laughs>